0: Listening to America'sWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. good evening and
1: welcome to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. This is your host, Dr. Scott Bay, your psychiatrist with all the latest mental health-related news, including everything about the mind, the brain, human behavior, how to feel well emotionally how to cope better with stress, how to improve your relationships, how to rid yourself of bad habits, and how to make sense of media reports about the latest research into the causes and potential new treatments for mental illness. Brought to you with the endeavor of reducing the stigma associated with having a psychiatric illness and needing treatment for it, and trying to better educate the public about mental health issues. And all that delivered to you without the hype and distortion of other media sources, other mental health experts, and with the benefit of more than 20 years in the practice of psychiatry. Well, Welcome back to this podcast, which will be aired... On Wednesday, November 23rd at 7 p.m., about 24 hours or less before your Thanksgiving dinner, depending on when you serve it. And so I'll say, if you're listening to this before the holiday, have a happy Thanksgiving. If you're listening to this after the holiday, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving and hope the rest of your holidays will be enjoyable And thank you for tuning in as we rapidly approach the end of 2016. Well, first on tonight's podcast, we're going to talk about an article I found about how stress affects saving and spending habits. The article doesn't particularly focus on holiday-related spending, but nonetheless, it's obviously timely. Where that's concerned uh, in case there are those of you out there who have not yet done your holiday shopping used to be that was most people because again it's not even thanksgiving yet as i record this podcast but boy nowadays the holiday shopping season is starting earlier and earlier isn't it well let's get back to the research uh are you feeling overwhelmed and stressed about work or a family illness or possibly because of the election that just took place? It turns out that worry and anxiety can have an impact on your wallet. Stress leads consumers to favor saving money, says Christina Duranti, an associate professor of, a professor of marketing at Rutgers Business School who researches the effect of hormones and consumer behavior. Although stressed consumers want to save, when faced with a spending decision, stressed consumers will pay for necessities they think will help restore control, rather than to splurge on non-necessities. The study was published in the Journal of Marketing Research in October. Uh, Durante and Juliano Laran at University of Miami find that stress leads consumers to save money in general, but spend strategically on products they believe are essential. Now, even before we get into the mechanics of the study that they did, doesn't it make sense that if you're under stress, you're going to focus on only buying what's the most essential and putting off the rest of it, uh, especially if your stress includes things that make your future somewhat uncertain, well, just stands to reason. Well, in any case, what they did was in several experiments, Durante and Loran created stressful situations for the study subjects, including leading them to believe that they would give presentations in front of judges and directing others to write about a stressful time in their lives. So two different stressors they gave different groups of study subjects. Faced with the stress alone, most say they wanted to save more money. Durante says the body reacts to stressful challenges with an increase in the hormone cortisol. You remember cortisol, don't you? That's our Stress hormone, cortisol, is our enemy. When we're under stress, it increases in circulation in the body, and it causes all kinds of bad reactions. It can worsen our regulation of sodium and blood sugar, raise heart rate and blood pressure, and do damage to multiple organs, including our brain. However, sometimes we need cortisol, Think of your fight-or-flight response. When faced with a threat, it will help us take some sort of action, hopefully the right one. Now, this cortisol surge leads us to focus our attention toward the threat so we can attempt to overcome it or alleviate it. People lock down and enter survival mode and protect resources as a means to ensure survival. When researchers tasked stressed participants with making a decision about how to spend up to $250, one group on everyday products and necessary household goods, the other on non-necessities, including entertainment goods, the group buying items deemed necessary spent more money. Neither group spent all of the $250. In another experiment, researchers restored a sense of control for one group before asking them about spending money by having them write about an instance in their life where their actions led to a good outcome. That group spent more money on purchases. What they found was that for those with momentary levels of acute stress, who then go and make a decision about how to spend their money. They want to save their money. But for those who were stressed out and then had their sense of control restored, they found they were willing to to spend their money, more so than the other group. The roots of the stress matter. People who said they were stressed about a current job situation, for example, were less likely to spend money on clothes. Not hard to figure out. While others stressed about starting a new job, were more likely to spend money on new clothes because they perceived the purchases as helping alleviate new job stress. What people feel is a necessity shifts depending on what kind of stress they have. Maybe they also said, well, The new job, I need new clothes for the new job. I think the key distinction the researchers are making is the sense of control. Having some control versus no control seems to affect the buying decisions people make when they're stressed. You can have situations where there is stress and a high level of control that can improve your performance like it does for elite athletes But if you have a high level of stress and a low level of control, that's when our cognitive efforts can get impaired and we want to save instead of spend. The implications for marketers are many. When there are unpredictable situations, such as extreme weather, like the droughts and forest fires we're having here in Georgia, like the elections that took place a few weeks ago, Consumers may be more open to products that are framed as necessities or those that can restore control. For consumers, the findings can help people be aware of how they react when they are stressed and making buying decisions. When humans are stressed, we still have to go out and about. We have a lot of consumers out there who are stressed, and are faced with decisions about what to purchase. Stress is unavoidable in life, yet research on how stressful situations affect how people make spending decisions as levels of the stress hormone cortisol are rising is limited and the findings mixed. This research is a start. Not a lot of research has been done on stress and spending. It's so nuanced because different people respond in different ways. Now, the researchers in this study are in the midst of a follow-up study on how consumers engage with products during a stressful time. Well, again, this probably is useful for marketers, and uh, hopefully it can be useful for consumers as well to know about their state of mind and their spending trends or habits but of course for marketers uh... they're going to take this information and say well uh... when it comes to very difficult very stressful times and we're just going to focus on necessary products and, and try to focus consumers purchases and advertising uh, campaigns on those uh, because people are less likely to spend freely. Uh, and again, you know, we talked before about how that might seem to be just the common sense assumption as to uh, what people might do. But on the other hand, I could also see where some people, including some marketers, might think, well, if people are under a lot of stress, might they also be right to make some more uh, impulsive uh, purchases or, or things that are non-necessities in a way to try to help themselves feel better or distract themselves from whatever stress it is that they're going through. Uh, so while that may be the case, this research would indicate that for the most part if you're stressed and especially if you're stressed and you lack a sense of control over what's going on in your life, you're more likely to pull back on your spending, and <clears throat> just stick to the necessities. Now, those of you who have not yet done your holiday shopping should certainly keep this in mind, um, and also keep in mind that, unfortunately, too many people overdo it on their holiday shopping, and uh, they won't, don't want to disappoint any of their family or friends uh, but then in January and beyond, when the bills come due, they really put themselves behind the eight ball. So uh, try not to do that to yourself this year, and it will definitely reduce your stress level uh, and start out 2017 in a better frame of mind. All right, and with that, we'll take a commercial break here, and we'll be back after that with more mental health-related news. You're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. Be right
0: back. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
2: Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport.
3: Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare. Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today.
0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to Psychiatry Today. Once again, your host, Dr. Scott Bay, your psychiatrist with all the latest mental health-related news. Now, those of you of a certain age often will notice that uh, as you approach your 40s and 50s and beyond, it's a little harder to recall things, right? That's kind of annoying, isn't it? Trouble thinking of names and Finding certain words takes longer and, you know, of course you worry, oh, is this a sign I'm coming down with Alzheimer's or something, God forbid, and of course it's not. There are normal age-related changes that come in terms of memory and thinking and focus and concentration, and uh, it just takes longer to retrieve some information. This is normal uh, so I saw this article and I was thinking about a lot of my patients who've expressed this concern and although the research that was done is a little bit uh, you know, obscure maybe or uh you know narrow, I, I think the take home message is positive and important for people who have those concerns. About their memory and their thinking and how they're noticing these age related changes. So that's why I decided, Hey, let me talk about this on the podcast. So, uh, again, as you age, you may find it more difficult to focus on certain tasks. Okay. It's not just memory that may be more difficult. It's focus and concentration, but. While distractions can be frustrating, they may not be as bad as we think. In a review published November the 15th in the the journal Trends in Cognitive Scientists, researchers at the University of Toronto and at Harvard University suggest that there may be some benefits to reduced focus, especially in people over 50, using behavioral studies and neuroimaging evidence, the researchers discuss how being easily distracted can help adults with, for example, problem-solving and learning new information. Different types of tasks benefit from a more broad focus of attention, and this is usually seen in tasks that involve thinking creatively or using information that was previously irrelevant. The literature gives us the impression that older adults are essentially doomed as their cognitive abilities decrease, when in reality, many older adults get along just fine in their day-to-day lives, and that shows that aging adults don't always need to have high cognitive control. When people have high cognitive cognitive control, they are able to maintain their focused attention and ignore distractions to get things done. But researchers found that people with reduced cognitive control had an easier time thinking of creative solutions to problems, and they were better at noticing patterns in the world around them. These findings also indicated that older adults could outperform their younger counterparts on certain problem-solving tasks as they were able to broaden their attention more easily. Additionally, people didn't require high levels of cognitive control for inherent day-to-day tasks like walking down the street or learning new information. In order to explore the benefits of cognitive control, Many lab-based behavioral experiments require participants to complete a specific set of tasks, limiting the role of distraction. But the researchers say these experiments have shortcomings as they don't explore situations when distractions and reduced cognitive control could be helpful, making the conclusions fairly one-sided. Many of the tasks that we study in Classive Cognitive Psychology are tasks that require high cognitive control. But these assigned tasks might not accurately mirror what people do in the real world because they limit distractions. But a distraction in one setting can actually be useful information in another setting, and the more information you have, the better able you're going to be to address a current problem. Researchers hope to use this information to determine exactly what tasks can benefit from reduced control in order to better simulate these experiences in a lab, although they also hope to expand the research beyond the aging population to examine how distractions can be beneficial for people with a range of cognitive impairments, for now they recognize that this understanding of cognitive control is a step closer to understanding the aging brain. There is a question about what really sustains performance in old age, and it's clear that working memory alone cannot provide us with the answer To that question. But it is possible that studying reduced cognitive control can help us understand how older adults can still perform independently and successfully in their lives. Well, so I think even though the message is somewhat technical and somewhat muddled, the important bottom line is Don't worry so much if you're having a harder time with focus and concentration as you approach 50 and beyond. It actually may come with the advantage that you'll have an easier time thinking of creative solutions to problems and be better able to notice patterns in the world around you and even outperform younger people on problem-solving tasks and have a broader sense of attention or focus. So there you have it, a little bit of good news for those of us with brains 50 years of age and older. Now, following up on that, the next item on tonight's podcast is rather startling, to say the least. There is... um, Of course, well-established research suggesting that extensive plaques and tangles in the brain result in the death of brain cells and are an indicator of Alzheimer's disease, Alzheimer's dementia. But surprising new research from Northwestern University on the brains of individuals 90 years and older who had superior memories up until their deaths, revealed widespread and dense Alzheimer's plaques and tangles, in some cases considered full-blown Alzheimer's pathology. So if that's the case, if these people, 90 years of age and older, had full-blown Alzheimer's disease pathology in their brains, that was discovered on autopsy, how is it that they had vastly superior memories? This clearly would turn Alzheimer's disease research on its ear. And uh, this is a very, very startling finding indeed. So uh, it was, according to the researchers at Northwestern, amazing, something they never expected. And they were saying that it tells us there are some factors that are protecting these people's brains and their memories against the Alzheimer's pathology of the plaques and tangles in the brain cells, and of course now they're trying to find out what are these factors. The Northwestern findings are the first to indicate that full-blown Alzheimer's pathology can also exist in the brains of elderly people who show superior cognitive performance. The results of this research were presented on November the 14th at the Society for Neuroscience 2016 Annual Conference in San Diego. Extensive plaques and tangles in the brain result in the death of neurons or brain cells and are an indicator of Alzheimer's dementia. The fact that some elderly with this pathology in their brains still had superior memory points to mechanisms that protect their brain cells and their memory. Discovery of these mechanisms is likely to help the development of therapies against Alzheimer's disease. Now they have to search for the factors that protect these particular elderly folks against memory loss. And they're going to look at genetic dietary, and environmental influences that could confer protection for brain cells against the Alzheimer's pathology, that's the plaques and tangles. If scientists can find a protective environmental factor, it could help the elderly who are doing well and, and seem to be normal as far as their memory for now, and also it could help those who are showing signs of Alzheimer's disease and who may have the plaques and tangles in their brain. A number of recent studies suggest some elderly individuals harbor extensive Alzheimer's disease pathology in their brain without any evidence at all of the cognitive decline seen in Alzheimer's disease. The Northwestern scientists studied the brains of eight individuals older than 90, who were selected for superior performance in memory tests compared to their same-age peers who had a normal memory test performance that is normal for their age. Three of those brains qualified pathologically as having Alzheimer's disease despite superior memory performance of the individuals when they were alive. In other words, of these eight people over 90 who had superior cognitive functioning, including memory, uh, when they passed, looking at the autopsy of their brain, it looked like a brain of an Alzheimer's disease patient. Now, researchers examined brain cells in particular areas of the brain to see what they could find, and uh, now they're trying to look at how uh, they can learn from these folks to help others. And we'll talk about the details of that when we come back from our next commercial break. You're listening to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott. We'll be right back. The
4: disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
2: 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport.
0: On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to Psychiatry Today with your host, Dr. Scott Bay. You're a psychiatrist with all the latest mental health-related news. And right now, we're talking about some startling research that came out of Northwestern University who found a small group of extremely competent 90-year-olds as far as their cognitive abilities, despite the fact that their brains showed every physical sign of Alzheimer's disease. The researchers examined brain cells in an area of the brain of these folks called the hippocampus. This is a small area of the temporal lobe of the brain that is responsible for memory formation. And in this area, they found cells that were relatively intact, despite the fact that the brains of these folks had full Alzheimer's disease signs uh, and superior memory performance. And then they also looked at the brains of Alzheimer's dementia patients who also had the full-blown Alzheimer's pathology, plaques and tangles. And those brains showed significant cell death in the hippocampus. A similar pattern was observed in other areas of the brain that control cognitive function. These findings clearly demonstrate the brains of some elderly are immune to the toxic effects of the plaques and tangles. In other words, in the brains of the folks who had the plaques and tangles but still had superior cognitive function when they were living, the cells in the hippocampus, which is so important for memory, were preserved. Why is that? Um, The scientists looked at tissue sections of parts of the brain of these folks. They counted the brain cells using a microscope. Uh, comparing sections in the hippocampus and in the frontal cortex, which is important for uh, things like judgment and also has circuits involved in memory. And when the plaques and the tangles appear in the frontal cortex, that means the Alzheimer's pathology has spread throughout the brain. The researchers are now embarking on a large-scale study to determine factors, including genetic factors that help protect the brains of some elderly against Alzheimer's pathology. Who knows what this research will bring us? Uh, is it possible it might point the way toward a treatment for Alzheimer's dementia? Of course, we can hope, uh, but that's not a sure thing. And also, is it possible that it would refine genetic testing for Alzheimer's disease. That's also possible. Uh, so we'll see. Stay tuned. But this is certainly quite a remarkable finding. Uh, scientists admitted they had no expectation that they would find intact, let alone superior cognitive function in folks who on autopsy showed the typical uh Uh, physical characteristics in your brain tissue of Alzheimer's disease. All right, well, let's now turn our attention to a mental health problem associated with a much, much younger generation, teenagers. Um, It is a reality that teenagers engage in binge drinking. We cannot ignore that. And uh, there are many health consequences that we're already aware of. And by the way, binge drinking, in case you weren't sure, this is consuming more than four drinks in one day. And believe me, I'm well aware of the implications that that definition has. Yes, binge drinking is extremely pre- prevalent among not just teenage populations, but uh, much older ones as well. Uh, so, yes, uh, binge drinking in general is a very widespread problem. Now, it turns out this new research revealed a scary new implication of teenage binge drinking, that it can affect the brain function of their future offspring. That's right. Binge drinking in teens puts their future offspring at risk. Let's find out how. Um, Well, so repeated binge drinking during adolescence can affect brain functions in future generations, potentially putting offspring at risk for such conditions as depression, anxiety, and metabolic disorders, according to a study at Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine. Adolescent binge drinking is not only dangerous to the brain development of the teenagers themselves, but also may impact the brains of their children. This research was also presented on November the 14th at Neuroscience 2016, the annual meeting of the Society for Neuroscience. The study was based on an animal model, and it found that adolescent binge drinking altered the on-off switches of multiple genes in the brains of their offspring. When these genes are turned on, they instruct cells to make proteins which ultimately control physical and behavioral traits. The study found that in the offspring, genes that are normally turned on were turned off, and vice versa. So this was the effect of the binge drinking. When you look at the offspring, gene function is altered. Teenage binge drinking is a major health concern in the United States. The article points out 21% of teenagers report that they have done binge drinking in the past 30 days, And among drinkers under the age of 21, more than 90% of the alcohol is consumed during binge drinking episodes. Now, in the article, they quote a different definition of binge drinking than the one I gave you. Uh, They define it as raising the blood alcohol concentration to 0.08%, the legal driving limit, within a period of two hours. Generally, this is about five drinks for a male and four drinks for a female. So that is consistent with what I told you, that it's more than four drinks, but they're saying whatever amount of alcohol it takes to consume within two hours that will get your blood alcohol limit above the legal driving limit. Now, in the study, there was one group of adolescent male and female rats that was exposed to alcohol in amounts comparable to six binge-drinking episodes. The rats mated after becoming sober, and the females remained sober during their pregnancies. Thus, any effects on the offspring could not be attributed to fetal alcohol syndrome which would be something that would happen if the mother uh, had been drinking alcohol. The alcohol-exposed rats were compared to a control group of rats that were not exposed to alcohol. In the offspring of alcohol-exposed rats, researchers examined genes in the hypothalamus. This is a region of the brain involved in many functions – including reproduction, response to stress, sleep cycles, and food intake. Researchers looked for molecular changes to DNA that would reverse the on-off switches in individual genes. They found 159 such changes in the offspring of binge-drinking mothers, 93 gene changes in the offspring of binge-drinking fathers, and 244 gene changes in the offspring of mothers and fathers who both were exposed to binge-drinking. The study is the first to show a molecular pathway that teenage binge-drinking by either parent can cause changes in the neurological health of subsequent generations. Now, I know what you're saying. Wait a minute. This is a rat study. What possible relevance could this have to humans? All right. Well, they addressed that in the article about the research. While findings from an animal model do not necessarily translate to humans, there are significant similarities between the study's animal model and humans, including their metabolism of alcohol, the function of the hypothalamus, and the pattern and amount of binge drinking. Now, while that's true, um, I still feel like while this certainly is a startling finding, it would have to be looked at in humans. And of course, you're not going to set up conditions, uh, have some teens drink and others not, and then have them reproduce, of course not. Uh, what I'm saying is that uh, basically study a population and um, survey them for their drinking behavior and drinking patterns. And then you'd have to follow this population longitudinally, meaning over not just months or a few years, but uh, probably over uh, a decade or more or decades and see what happens to their offspring. Um, And it is difficult and expensive to do research like that, but nonetheless, that's the only way we're going to get the answer to the question as to whether this happens in humans or not. Still, uh, I think there are enough similarities and analogous structures in the brain and brain physiology between rodents and humans to say you know what this is another potential health consequence of teenage binge drinking that we already know about so for those of you out there with teenage kids or teenage grandkids there are already lots of good reasons why they shouldn't do that for the health of their own brains um and for many other health or legal consequences uh... but now we can potentially add to that list of negative consequences that by doing so, uh, they are actually affecting the health in general and the he- brain health in particular of their future offspring, your future grandkids or great-grandkids, as the case may be. Scary thought. All right, well, we're going to take another break here for some more commercial sponsorship words and when we come back from that more mental health related news you're listening to psychiatry today with dr scott be right back
3: it's that time of year again if you suffer from itchy eyes sneezing a constant runny nose sinus headaches or an increase in asthma symptoms and you're tired of using allergy medicine maybe it's time to stop putting a band-aid on the problem Peachtree ENT Center believes in treating the problem instead of masking the symptom. We are pleased to offer an innovative alternative that can free you from this routine. Sublingual immunotherapy is a safe, easy, and effective way to treat allergies to food and environmental allergens for you and your family. Imagine placing drops under your tongue to treat allergies. No shots, no office visits with time off from work, and freedom from needing daily allergy medication. Just think, next year... You can actually enjoy being outdoors. About an hour of your time is all it takes to change the quality of your life. Remember, Street E&T Center is where patient care counts.
5: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to Psychiatry Today with Dr. Scott, your host, bringing you all the latest mental health-related news. Next up on tonight's podcast, stress-induced changes in the maternal gastrointestinal tract could negatively impact her offspring for life. Prenatal exposure to a mother's stress contributes to anxiety and cognitive problems that persist into adulthood a phenomenon that could be explained by lasting and potentially damaging changes in the microbiome, according to new research in mice. The microbiome would, of course, include the bacteria that normally inhabit our gut. Now, when pregnant mice were exposed to stress in the study, it appeared to change the makeup of the bacteria in both their guts and in their placentas, as well as in the intestinal tracts of their female offspring, researchers at Ohio State University found. And those microbial changes lasted into adulthood. On top of that, the mice with the stressed mothers struggled in tests aimed at gauging anxiety and cognitive health compared with female offspring of mice that were not stressed during pregnancy. And markers of inflammation increased in the placenta. The fetal brain and the adult brain of the offspring, um, there is a supportive protein called brain-derived neurotrophic factor that were measured in the fetal and the adult brain, and it was decreased. You can think of brain-derived neurotrophic factor as something that promotes the health and nourishment and growth of brain cells. So you have higher levels of inflammation and lower levels of BDNF, all because of the effects of stress during pregnancy. More and more doctors and researchers are understanding that naturally occurring bacteria are not just a silent presence in our bodies, but that they contribute to our health. These mice were more anxious. They spent more time in the dark, enclosed spaces, and they had a harder time learning cognitive tasks, even though they were never stressed after birth. And like so much of what we've talked about on tonight's podcast, it was also presented November the 14th in San Diego at the Neuroscience 2016 Annual Meeting of the Society for Neuroscience. Previous studies have found associations between maternal stress in both animals and people to later mental health and behavioral problems in their offspring. This study could begin to explain What's at play in that relationship? We already understand that prenatal stress can be bad for the offspring, but one of the questions is how. Microbes from a mother's gastrointestinal and reproductive tracts are the first to colonize in a developing fetus and in newborns. That makes the bacteria an interesting potential explanation of why and how stress before an animal or person is born could prompt mental illness that can last a lifetime. The study is pointing to alterations in the microbes that live in the placenta and outlines changes found in the placentas of fetal mice that had stressed mothers. Researchers found significant microbial changes to the placentas of the female offspring of stressed mice. They also found alterations in inflammation and growth factors in the placenta pointed to changes in how the microbes were influencing important dynamics before birth. And in the female offspring of the stressed mice, the researchers found a lower ability to learn and higher anxiety-like behavior compared to the offspring of non-stressed mother mice. The team found interesting changes in the male offspring as well, but the details of that part of the study are still in the works. The researchers have plans to expand their investigation to pregnant women and their babies. Perhaps one day the work will lead to knowledge about how probiotics could help mitigate the effects of stress and the downstream repercussions, but it's too soon now to say if they would have any impact. The idea being that if you can say, well, stress in the mother leads to this negative impact on the microbiome of the offspring who then show signs of stress, Uh, might you be able to provide probiotics for either the mother or the offspring to offset the effects of the stress? The stressed mother mice underwent two hours per day for seven days of restraint meant to induce stress, Uh, Those of you from PETA, please don't call in or write in. Again, this is not something I condone, just reporting to you what happened. For comparison, the researchers left another group of pregnant mice undisturbed during gestation. And then they assessed the gut bacteria from the mice The message here is not that mothers are to blame should children suffer mental illness later in life. Rather, this scientific development presents an opportunity to talk more about the importance of mental health in general and during pregnancy. Uh, The lead author said, As a psychiatrist who treats pregnant women, if you're stressed, anxious, or depressed, I think pregnancy is a prime time for intervention, and what's good for mom is good for the baby. Now, that to me, right there in that statement, is the major take-home message of this research. Yes, it was done in mice. Yes, it needs to be replicated and confirmed in humans. However, I think potential is that it reinforces the message that we need to pay better attention to treating anxiety and stress and other negative mood states in pregnant women, even if that means there's no resort but to give them medication because uh, it's just more documentation that when a mother is stressed, it has a negative impact on the fetus and this is more easily quantifiable and measurable than are any negative potential impacts of the treatments. Uh, however, having said that, would it be possible to alleviate this problem with probiotics in the pregnant women or instead of antidepressants? That would be great, uh, but obviously more work needs to be done And again, is psychotherapy during pregnancy an alternative to antidepressants in terms of treating anxiety or depression in pregnant women? It absolutely is. Um, But it needs to be easily accessible and covered by health insurance. Uh, So again, just more evidence that maternal stress affects fetal outcomes and needs to be paid attention to solutions need to be found. Now, scientists think they found the sweet spot for pain relief that placebos will bring about. They have identified for the first time the particular region in the brain responsible for the placebo effect in terms of placebos that will actually bring about pain relief, even though they're fake treatments. This could result in the design of more personalized medicine for the hundreds of millions of Americans with chronic pain. And it has the potential to usher in an era of individualized pain therapy by uh, targeting specific pain medication based on how a person's brain responds to a particular drug. And it could lead to more specific, precise, and accurate clinical trials for pain medications by eliminating those who have a heightened tendency to respond to placebos. The unique brain region within the midfrontal gyrus identifies placebo pill responders in one trial and can be validated 95% certainty in the placebo group of a second trial. The study was published on October 27th in the journal PLOS Biology, and it also comes to us uh, from Northwestern University. Now, given the enormous societal toll of chronic pain, being able to predict placebo responders in a population like that could help the design of personalized medicine and enhance the success of clinical trials. And it might allow physicians to see what part of the brain is activated during an individual's pain and choose a specific drug to target that spot. And... Doctors would be better able to measure how their patient's pain region is being affected by a drug. Now, the um, new study for the first time used fMRI, Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging, to derive a brain-based neurological marker to predict pain relief associated with placebos. The patients were suffering from chronic knee osteoarthritis pain. And they showed that placebo pills have a strong pain killing effect, with more than half the patients resulting in significant pain relief. If future similar studies could further expand and eventually provide a pain, I'm sorry, a brain-based predictive best therapy option for individual patients' pain, it would dramatically decrease Unnecessary exposure of patients to ineffective therapies and decrease the duration and magnitude of pain, suffering, and opioid use. Well, that's certainly a remarkable finding. It's one thing to document a placebo effect in a clinical trial. It's quite another thing to locate the area of the brain that uh, tells you whether someone will respond to a placebo or not and thereby help guide treatment. Very interesting finding indeed, brain evidence for the placebo effect. Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight's show. Hope that you enjoyed the information that I enjoyed bringing to you and found it interesting and informative. And I hope until we get together next week, you have a wonderful stress-free week and Thanksgiving holiday. But if not, then you need to call Dr. Scott. Good night and thanks for listening.
0: You're listening to
3: AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.